Last week, we started a brand new series. It's called Throughway. And it's simple. Our emotions can sometimes get the best of us and can overwhelm us. And we started to ask, what do we do when our emotions are overwhelming us, when we feel like we've, it's all too much? Well, what do we do? Well, we said, we pray. How do we pray then? How do we pray through our emotions? That's the question that we're asking. Last week, we looked at praying through our, tear, uh, our fears, that when you feel overwhelmed and you're afraid that there is a particular way that you can pray, and we talked about that, and you can look at that. But before we talk about what we're talking about this week, I want to remind us, I'll probably say this every week, that there are two general ways that we can respond to our emotions. One is we can, if, if we're like the religious people, and a lot of us here are really religious, and so if we're like the religious people, then we stuff it down. We go, you know, put a stiff upper lip, ask no help, just endure and you'll get through. So people ask you, well, how are you doing? We even have terminology, right? right? We have uh, uh, language that we use in Christian world to not express our feelings. We actually use Christian language to not express our feelings. So the first one is to just simply avoid our emotions, right? We avoid our emotions, and we'll say something like this. How are you doing? And we'll say something like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm, I'm blessed. Technically, you're absolutely right, right? Because it doesn't matter how we're feeling. We're blessed in Christ. He's our joy and our crown and our king and our all in all. But it doesn't really answer the question, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm blessed. I'm highly favored. I'm, you know, we have language that we use to deflect from having to share. And it's the religious response. And, and it'll kill you, literally. Like, but it'll make you real sick first. Good news. Before it kills you, it'll make you real, real sick. Um, you, you'll have stomach problems. Anybody here ever uh, been so emotional, afraid, worried, whatever, and you couldn't sleep? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It affects everything. So the religious way is not the way we're talking about going through our emotions. This can't be true. And then there's the sort of irreligious way, or the secular way, or the uh, worldly way. And, and that's simply to vent everything. And the thing about venters is that they think they've found the solution once they can identify the emotion. Once they can identify the emotion, then there's no more work that needs to be done, and that leaves them stuck in a cul-de-sac of exclaiming, uh, crying, beating up pillows, and, and screaming, and venting, and never getting to the solution. They wind up stuck because they think that as long as they feel better in the moment of venting. So ours is not the way of religion, nor is it the way of secularism or, or worldliness. Ours is a gospel way. Well, what do you do with your feelings if, you're not, if you don't stuff them or vent them? Well, you pray them. 
And that's our gospel response to our feelings. We pray our emotions. We go to the only, we go to the manufacturer to find out what's happening inside our hearts. The one who created us can best guide us and lead us. Last week, we talked about praying our fears. This week, we're going to talk about praying our tears. Because how many people here know that sometimes the night is long, the tears don't stop, the heart is broken, and there looks like there's no end in sight. Has there ever been anyone who's been there? One or two, are you sure? There are moments where suffering is here to stay, where suffering is a part of your reality, where the pain that you feel doesn't have a quick fix. This happens in families, where things fall apart and there's a new normal. There's no more the way we were. This happens with our health, where uh, just take two of these and call me in the morning is not going to cut it. There's, this happens in relationships. The suffering, when you realize, when you open your eyes and you realize, man, maybe marriage isn't in the cards for me. Or when you realize there's a great deal of pain associated with being married to this person. Suffering is the human condition. It's a part of life. If you're atheist, good news, you'll suffer. If you're a Christian, good news, you'll suffer. This is the, this is the, uh, the universal equalizer. Everyone. Now, it's important, especially for the Christians here, to understand you will suffer. Your faith in Christ will not divorce you from suffering. Your trust in Jesus will not divorce you from suffering. Suffering, I guarantee you, will happen. If you're young, if you're old, if you're black, if you're white, if you're educated, if you're not, you will suffer. So what do we do? We, we pray our tears. We pray that God would address our hurts and suffering. Some things don't go away. I, I love shows. I watch, um, there's a few shows that me and my family watch on like Netflix or whatever. And, um, and I love the solution of it all. Like no matter how long the show is, half hour, an hour, there's generally a resolution to it, right? Like crisis, right? Solution, resolution. Oh man. If only life was this way. Our, our suffering is not that way. Our suffering is not that way. Our suffering is more substantial than that. And we can easily fall into the line of despair and even despair of our lives. Which, let me, let me do a side note. I planned on doing this side note. There are two shows that talk about dealing with despair in horrific ways, like really bad ways. And 
you know, it's, it's a show, so I'm sure that some of you have access to it, and, and I just need to express them, because they're, especially within the recovery house of worship, these two solutions can never be viable. The first show, it's called 13 Ways. 13 Ways. It's, or 13 Reasons Why. 13 Reasons Why. This show, 13 Reasons Why, this is an important thing. The premise of the show is that a girl has already committed suicide. So the death has already happened. But the series is her blaming other people for her death and then making them go through this whole process so that in the, in the story, the villains are the ones that are alive and the hero is the one that killed herself. Now, listen to me. Listen to me. Children, your children are getting an idea about how to handle life in this way. When you have, when you have the protagonist, when you have the hero, when you have that person, and the ultimate solution for their lives is that they kill themselves in their deep despair, I know that there are a ton of children who are watching this show and just going, wow, this is cool. This is, yeah, she gets the last word. She's getting the, listen to me. This is horrific way to look at despair. This is the religious way. You stuff it, and you stuff it, and you stuff it, and you stuff it, and then you kill yourself. And then in this particular show, she gets to vent, but it's, she's venting, in the, in the, it's ridiculous because she's dead. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because there are some of you here right now Maybe some of you within the sound of my voice right now, maybe you are sitting in your living room or driving your car and you're listening to this and you're thinking, what else is there to life? My tears are too great. My pain is too much. I can't go on. I want you to know that there's hope in Christ. There's hope. Not in your preferred outcome. There's hope. Not in what you wish would happen. There's hope not in what you want, but there's hope in Christ. And that makes all the difference. Beloved, if you're here, that's not the solution. There's another one. It's a, and I can't even remember the name of this one. It's a, a woman who's a doctor, and the, the premise of the show is that she murders people. Um, that's the, like she's a doctor, and people, and they, they create these incredibly emotional stories. There's so much pain, and, and you know, I just saw the commercial, and, and she said, hey, I think that we should be able to choose how we live and how we die. That's the line that I remember her saying. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't get to choose how you die. You know why? Because you didn't get to choose how you were born. You didn't make you, so you don't get to end you. And so, I know that, and, and by the way, I'm speaking quick, right? We got a 35-minute sermon. I got to talk quick. I got to move quick. I understand that there are circumstances where there is great pain, pain that is so great. People are living with suffering, and this gets unbelievably complex. 
So I can't answer all the questions right now, but I am saying for the Recovery House of Worship, we look to Christ to help us to endure through suffering, and we don't do Christ's work in ending our lives. We wait for him to take us home, and when we get home, we get a brand new body, we get a brand new set of emotions, we get a brand, listen to me, but what we don't do is we don't take things into our own hands with suicide or assisted suicide. So then how do we deal with our tears? How do we pray? How do we pray? Well, God knows that all of us are going to ex- experience extreme pain. And in that, we have to respond to God. And how do we talk to God when we're in that? God put a person who suffers, he put their prayer in the scriptures for us to look, look at. But I want, I want to warn you. This is an incredibly messy prayer. This, if you're used to the, you know, oh, Father, who art in heaven, you are the committer of all peoples, you owner of all. If you're, if you're sort of into that kind of high, um, high liturgical prayer, you, you will have great discomfort. And let me just tell you, you think that, like, in the 20th and the 21st century, we invented authenticity? Even you are going to feel uncomfortable with this prayer. It is so raw. It is so just unrehearsed and raw and painful that you're going to be blown away. Now, it is our tradition that we stand at the reading of God's word. But this time, I'm going to read the prayer to you. Usually, we read it together. This time, I'm going to read it to you, and I want you to see where this goes. Again, extra strength honesty. I've never, I can say this. I've been praying for over, my goodness, well, I've been praying for over, probably over 20 years, and, and I'm telling you, I've never prayed anything close to this raw. So let's look at it and see if we could find what God, how God would lead us in praying our tears. I'll read it to you. I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. So I remained utterly silent, not even saying anything good, but my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me. While I meditated, the fire burned. When I spoke with my tongue, show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere hand's breath. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In vain they rush about, heaping up wealth without knowing whose it will finally be. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. I was silent. I would not open my mouth. For you are the one who has done this. Remove your scourge from me. I am overcome by the blow of your hand. When you rebuke and discipline anyone for their sin, you consume their wealth like a moth. 
Surely everyone is but a breath. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I will dwell with you as a foreigner, a stranger, as all my ancestors were. Look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. This is God's word. Raw. So I'm talking to two kinds of people here today. People who are presently suffering or people who will suffer. So some of you, you're going to hear this message and it just simply doesn't apply. You're having a great time. You're, you know, your life is fine. Your job is fine. Your health is fine. Everything is fine. You are doing well. There's some of you who are here and you're doing well. And then there's others of you who are going through it, and it's difficult. Staying clean is difficult. Staying married is difficult. Working is difficult. Health is difficult. Kids are difficult. Um, depression is difficult. Emotions are difficult. In-laws are difficult. Things are difficult. And for you, this is going to take real, um, this is going to have real application in your lives. So. Let's look at the text and see what we can find. I said, the psalmist says this. The psalmist. I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. So I remained utterly silent, not even saying anything good, but my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me. While I meditated, the fire burned when I spoke with my tongue. See, the psalmist tries to deal with the anguish that he's dealing with by keeping quiet. It's what we talked about earlier. And he's saying that his heart burned hot. This is not like a positive burning hot, like, you know, you know my heart's on fire for my wife or my heart, my heart burns hot for God. This is not like a positive thing. This is, he's, his heart is melting. He's being crushed. He's feeling that sinking, terrible feeling. Also, we should point out, let me point out a couple of things in this psalm. Again, this is a messy psalm. If you jump down to verse um, 8, can you jump down to verse 8? Look at what it says. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. This this is a person, this is a person who's suffering, he has a part to play in it. And this is really important to note, because sometimes we think that when we sin that we can't pray to God. When we sin, we can't go to God, because look, 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 the, Satan accuses us. In fact, that's what Satan means. It means accuser. Satan accuses us. He goes, now you're going to talk to God? After what you did, you put yourself here. You're the one who made this bed. Now you lie in it. Don't you dare talk to God. Now, there's a kind of suffering that you don't create yourself. Right? There's a kind of suffering that you and I experience that we didn't do. We, we send our children to school 
Some drunk guy runs through a red light, hits a bus, our kid is the only one who dies. That's a suffering that we did not create. And while we'll talk about that a little bit here, I want to specifically talk to the ones who you created the bed that you sleep in that's so difficult to be in. You invented it. Cancer medication that's kicking your butt from the years of smoking. The relationship that you're having so much pain in, you forced that hand. You made sure that you were in that relationship. You didn't listen to friends or listen to wisdom. The, the, uh, the medication that you're taking for your health, well, that was your bad habits in eating. And, and so there are, there are those of us, this is not everyone. Like I just said, there are some sufferings that happen that we don't have a part to play in. But there are some sufferings that we add on our own. And I want you to know, think about the crazy love of God that he would know that every one of us would ha- there would be a time that you saw, that you sin that you commit the transgression and he says I still want you to talk to me you don't believe me I'll give you an example think about how loving God is you go but I can't talk to God about my marriage I'm, I screwed it up yeah 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 I know God says yeah 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 I can't talk to God about my health issue I'm the one who you know, did drugs for X amount of years. I'm the one who did whatever. Yeah, whatever. God says, talk to me about it. I'm telling you, when this is true with uh, God, this is true with my kids. When my kids mess up, I don't know that I've ever said to any one of them, uh, I don't want to talk to you. Like if they come to me and they say, Bob, I, I messed up real bad. You know, uh, this or this. I don't know that I've ever gone up to them and said, I don't want you to talk to me. I've begged them not to go in that direction. I've pleaded with them not to move in the same place. But God is like that. He is a God who hears the prayers. You ever heard, you know, uh, you know the, way, the way you act, God can't hear your prayers. With all that sin, God can't hear your prayers. And it's true, there's several places in the Bible for the Christian that, um, like, there's this one place where if you disobey, my husbands, get this, if you, if you are uh, being, like, uh, mean-spirited to your wife or, or you don't have peace in your home because you're the pastor of the home, the Bible says that God won't hear your prayers. Isn't that crazy? It makes you want to fix your marriage issues, doesn't it? Right? But it's not like God won't hear your prayers, like God want, wants to have nothing to do with you. It's, it's, it's pointing out the hypocrisy. You, who are the leader of your home, will not listen to your wife, will not honor and love your wife, and yet you'll go to the leader of the universe and say, honor and love me. It, it's pointing out a hypocrisy. But when you and I are either caught in sin or create our own suffering and our tears are flowing hot, God says, talk to me. Oh, but God can't talk to you. Listen, if, if, you, if the only people that God heard were people who did not sin, God would hear no people. God would need no ears. In fact, I don't know that I've ever been able to pray without sin being present. 
I don't know that I've ever, and I'm talking about times where I'm crying and on my knees without sin being present. Beloved, God is giving us this, this psalm, this prayer, because he wants us to run to him with whatever suffering, even if it's a self-inflicted wound. First, the psalmist, what, you know what he does? He says this. He goes, I'm not going to say a thing. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to talk. And inside, his body started to break down. His heart burned, grew hot within him. And then he goes on to verse 4. Look at, check this out, verse 4. Show me, Lord, my life's end, the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere hand's breadth. Okay, I used to think, I actually changed my mind on what this is actually saying. I used to think that this says, hey, God, let me know, let me know that life is short. Let me live life to the full. If I know that life is short, then I can live life to the fullest, and I can live for your honor and glory. That makes sense. Show me, right? It says, show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You have made my days a mere hand's breadth. My, the span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. And I go, oh, yeah, that's right, because life is short. And so, God, help me to live in light of the fact that this life is short. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is he's going, God, how long are you going to continue with this suffering? Because he's taking it as a punishment of sin. How long are you going to continue this correction? How long are you going to continue this? Now, this has lots of application for those of us here. Because many of us struggle with stuff that we've prayed and asked God to take away and doesn't go away. Haven't you ever prayed? Am I, am I talking just to myself? I mean, is there, has there been one or two of you who've ever prayed and it didn't, like, it didn't get all fixed in like 20 minutes? Right? Yeah, just one or two of you, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And he goes, God, when will the suffering end? When will the pain go? When will the hurt stop? Especially if you're young and you've broken up with someone. You go, when will this end? Or if you're old and you, and, or older and you can't seem to find a job for a long period of time. Beloved, you go, when will this end? Or, or when you're struggling, like me, I struggle with depression. Will this ever end? Will this ever stop? The psalmist doesn't get an answer for that. Not only does he not get an answer for that, he comes to a conclusion and says, surely everyone goes around like a mere phantom. In other words, how fleeting life is. In vain they rush about heaping up wealth without knowing who will, it will finally be. Now, I want to go to the last verse because the psalm ends in despair. Remember when I told you? This psalm is a messy psalm. Go to verse uh, 13. Look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. 
Now, the guys who know Hebrew um, and, and the scholars who know Hebrew, um, they have differing, differing responses to what this guy is saying, and I'm not sure which one it is. It's one or the other, so I'll bring both of them to you so that we could consider them, because I don't think God, got, God did not get specific on this, I think maybe because he wants us to consider both options. One is this guy is just simply saying, God, leave me alone already. It's better to do life without you. Life is better when you're not around. I just leave me alone. Maybe then I'll have some peace. Following you is just too painful. And we got to give room for that in our time of prayer. We got to give room for that in our lives. What do we do with that? I can tell you that many of us in this room have prayed something like that. I, in fact, the way we get this is um, in suffering is people go, where was God when? Where was God when? And then they use that as an excuse, this suffering. Well, I can't follow a God who lets a tsunami uh, in Indonesia or who lets these kids be uh, murdered in these schools, like these awful tragedies or personal tragedies, like my wife divorced me, my kid died, my health went bad, and, and, and these tragedies are very real, and we don't want to, but we want to ask, where was God? We, we, we just don't want to have anything to do with God. We go, leave me alone, God, and we do it in the form of a question, where was God when? Now, listen, if you ask me, where was God when, my first question is always, you know, like if, you, if they ask this in the newspapers, if they ask this uh, to me personally, where was your God when, and then some national tragedy, because that always happens, like during national tragedy. My first question is, which God are you referring to? Which God are you referring to? You mean the God that you believe in that promises to, to keep you from all pain and hurt and never let a bad thing happen in your life? Yeah, I don't believe in him either. I don't know where that guy is. The Christian God guarantees, promises that you will go through suffering. So what God could you be talking about? Because if you're talking about Christ, then we can't talk the same conversation. Because if you ask, where was he? You go, well, he was right where he, he is right now, where he's always been, present. But listen to me, there was a day where Christ himself took on all the suffering, all the pain of the world, all of it, your pain and my pain, your sorrow and my sorrow, where he took it all and bore it on the cross. Where was your God? Listen to me. If you mean the God that's supposed to make everything work out good for you, then I don't believe in that God either. We're on the same boat. But God, that's, that's not the way God is. We see in Hebrews, we see in Hebrews the, uh, the passage where, where um, they're, they're talking about the, the hall of faith. And there's a moment where at the end of that beautiful passage, they go, and some of these people 
gave their bodies to lions to be fed. That these people who believe, like it starts the, 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 the hall of faith, right? Like it's like this incredible, like, you know, Abraham and Moses and these guys who like were victorious and these are like religious heroes. And then it ends with people giving their lives over to be devoured by lions for their faith, for nothing other than their trust in Christ. And many of us, listen to me, many of us don't even have a shelf to put that thought in our mind. We don't have a shelf in our mind to put that thought. Because we think that God's job is to take away all of our pain, to take away all of our, uh, our, our hurt, to take away all of our hardship. That is not true. God never promised to take away our pain. He only promised that he would go through it with us. And brothers, if you miss this, listen, if you don't get this, you'll leave Christ before you. You'll, you will leave Christ before you leave this earth. You, you must know this, that suffering is guaranteed. And Christ guarantees to never leave us nor forsake us. But I also want to point out another thing about this verse. Look away from me. If you're in Christ, that's a prayer that God will never answer. If you're in Christ, God will never leave. He will never forsake. He'll never leave you on your own. Your parents, they might have abandoned you. Your friends, they might have just broke out and left you on your own. God promises to never answer that prayer. That's one prayer you can put in the bank. God will never answer that with a yes. He'll always pursue you. He'll always love you. He'll always be alongside you. But there's another way to look at this. One is get away from me, God. And the other, look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. It's just a prayer for mercy. God, I know I've messed up. There, this is the second way of looking at this verse. It's, I know I've messed up, but this, this suffering is greater than I can stand. Could you, could you alleviate the suffering? And it's an appropriate prayer. I, I just, God, I know, it was me. I messed up. I'm not making excuses. I'm not blaming you. I'm not blaming her. I'm not blaming them. I'm not blaming it. I'm not blaming them. I'm not doing any of that. I'm saying, God, it was totally me, but which, just, just have mercy. And the reason we can pray that, the reason we can pray that is because of verse 7. Look at verse 7. It's really powerful. Now, remember, we said messy prayer, right? This guy goes in and out. This guy is, uh, what is it called? Um, um, uh, 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 manic depressive, right? He's, he's high and he's low. But now, look at verse 7. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. You see, this is how we deal with our suffering. That in the middle, it's no, there's no coincidence that in the middle of this verse, in the middle of this chapter, there are six verses before it, and there are six verses after it. That in the seventh verse, it says, but now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. This is important. This is important. Let me tell you why. 
Because when we say that we have faith in God, what we really mean is that we have faith that he'll give us our preferred outcome. I, I don't believe that God is with me presently and will give me suffering grace to endure whatever difficulty will happen. What I believe is that God agrees with me about how all this should go. That's where my faith is. And I'm willing to be patient if God is slow. However, I am certain that's what my faith is, that he will come around to my thinking. Beloved, that is not faith at all. Or it's faith in the wrong thing. I mean, it's, a, it's an extraordinary faith. There's another way we can look at this. When we have faith, but my hope, my hope is in you. Another way we don't do this is that we go, oh, but you know what? It's, you know, it's, uh, 2017, let's say it was a good year or a bad year, I don't know. We'll be moving on in December, and then, you know, 2018 will be around the corner. We'll say something like this. We'll say, you know, 2017 was rough, but 2018, that's going to be my year. 2018 is when everything gets conquered. Because hope is not in Christ. Hope is somewhere in the future. Hope is somewhere with changed circumstances. Hope doesn't exist in Jesus. Hope exists in something that may or may not happen out there sometime, somewhere. That's not the hope that we have in our Christ. Look at what he says. But now, now I know, listen, when I sinned, what I did was I put my hope in this sin, in this flesh, in this transgression. That's what I did when I put my hope in that. I sinned, and now I'm feeling the effects of that sin, and suffering is, is, is taking over my entire life. But now... Somebody say, but now. But now. But now. Lord, what do I look for? What do I look for? My hope is in you. When we are praying our tears, our hope needs to be in Christ. Some of you, listen to me, some of you will have to deal with stuff for the rest of your life. You open. Just the other day, I was talking to um, uh, Lydia, right? Uh, uh, my daughter Lydia, we were hanging out, and we just did, like, and, and you, if, you, if you knew me, you know that this would be a weird deal. But I took her to McDonald's, right? We haven't eaten McDonald's in, like, years. But, man, that Big Mac is good. <laughs> wow. I've forgotten how delicious that Big Mac is, right? Because I hadn't had it in years. And so I was walking with uh, Lydia, and matter of fact, I was so open to the Big Mac. We had it like three or four days later or a week later. I can't remember. Three or four days later, I went to my, and I found out there was like three, this is like a big McDonald's commercial, right? Uh, it's like there was like three new burgers. And I said to myself, yo, we're going to go out and get, it was like eight o'clock at night. I was like, I don't care. <laughs> Diet be damned. I don't care. I'll work it off somehow. And you know there's no working that off, right? Don't kid yourself. Don't kid you, you'd have to run to China to work that stuff off. And so, so I said to myself, yo, we're going to do it. And I was like, like and, and the, man, it was good. I was like, oh, my God, McDonald's is delicious. Everything they do, they do well. And then I came, and, I, and the two days later after that, I was walking with my daughter again. I said, yo, I am so open right now for McDonald's. I'm like crazy open. Like, I'm real open now, right? And so, like, I'm struggling with it now. 
right? Because when I open the door to something and I walk into that thing, you walk with it for a while. Okay. I don't just say jokes just to say jokes. Listen, come closer, come closer. Some of you have opened doors that are not going to be closed. You've opened doors sexually. You've opened doors uh, um, uh, chemically. You've opened doors um, uh, relationally. And these are not closed. You walk with these. You walk with the limp. You walk with the suffering. You walk with the pain. You walk with the difficulty. He promises to walk with you. Now, I need you to see this. Our hope is not that I will not feel this temptation anymore, or that this stress will no longer be mine, or that this pain will no longer be so intimate with me. That's not our hope. Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. The reason our hope is in Jesus is because as we look at this passage, we see that Jesus solved everything that this psalmist went through. This, this psalmist kept it in and his heart burned, was going to melt. Jesus kept silent like one who was being led, like a sheep that was being led to the slaughter. He kept silent. Jesus did not have to ask, how long are my days? He knew his time was short. But his time was short, not because of any transgression that he did, but because of the transgression that you and I committed. Jesus would be the one who, who would go to the Father. He would go to the Father and said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God turned his, the Father turned his back on Christ. God the Father turned his back on God the Son so that God would never be able to answer this prayer for you. Look away from me. No, 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 no. I won't look away from you because I looked away from my son. Your sin deserves a great penalty, and it deserves me, God, looking away from you. But I will not look away from you because your sin's penalty was paid on the cross in Christ, and I looked away from him. The despair and the pain that you deserve, he felt on that cross so that you can walk in deep intimacy with the one who saved and bought you and the one who says, now pray to me and say, my hope is in you. So here it is, folks. Here it is. When hurts in life overwhelm us, our hope in Christ sustains us. That's, that's what we're trying to figure out today. When hurts in life overwhelm us, our hope in Christ sustains us. So those of you, listen, imagine... We're almost done here. Imagine, imagine, imagine you go to the doctor's tomorrow and he gives you the bad news that you were afraid to have happen. There you go. I receive that bad news because it's, it's true. There's the chart. There's all that stuff. But my hope is not in my health. My hope is in Jesus. Because, listen, listen, 
when hurts in life overwhelm us, our hope in Christ sustains us. When you wake up tomorrow and your wayward child is still wayward, they've gone and they've, they're, they're not gotten better, and you feel the pain and the oppression of that, I want you to remember, when hurts in life overwhelm us, our hope in Christ sustains us. When the financial situation is as dark as it could be, and there doesn't look like there's going to be any relief financially in sight, and they're moving you out of your apartment into, the marshals have come to take everything, and now you're going to a homeless shelter or worse. Say it with me. When hurts in life overwhelm us, our hope in Christ sustains us. When your spouse comes up to you and says, that's it, I don't want to be with you, there's someone else, and your heart feels like it's going to explode in pain, I want you to be reminded, say it with me, when hurts in life overwhelm us, our hope in Christ sustains us. When you're fighting that temptation, that temptation that the whole world says is okay, but Christ's word has convicted you, and you're saying, I'm not going back to that lifestyle. I'm not going to do that thing. I'm not going to be that way. And, and yet you feel it more intensely than you've ever felt that temptation before. Say it with me. When hurts in life overwhelm us, our hope in Christ sustains us. Because when we're praying our tears, our hope is not in no tears. Our hope is in the one who cries with us. Let's pray. Father, you have been a very good God. And I'm sorry for all the time that I thought that just because I experienced pain, that meant that you were absent. That when I experienced suffering, it meant that you wanted nothing to do with me. That when my sin caused my own hurt, it meant that you didn't want to have anything to do with me, Lord. I am sorry for thinking that way. I'm sorry for believing that. I'm sorry for believing that still sometimes. But Lord, as we go through this series on how to pray through our emotions, would you remind us? Remind us that it's in Christ that we find our solution. We can speak to you because Christ was silent. We can rest in you because Christ took on the deep anguish. And we can be assured that you'll be close because Christ took the pain of you turning your face from him. So Lord, would you remind us of this tomorrow? Would you help to apply this to tonight when we can't sleep because our bodies are so filled with pain or can't sleep because of other pains that are overwhelming us? Remind us of this, oh God. And remind us of more than anything else that when hurts in life 
overwhelm us. Our hope in Christ sustains us. <laughs>